Amen. Great. Could I grab that back? <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. Well, if you're part of King's Church, you're probably reeling from that announcement. And uh, I guess the difference between us as leaders and you is that we've just had a few more weeks of walking through this. So I'm going to help you to walk through this a little bit this morning. Uh, if you're not part of the church, like I'm not, you're probably thinking, why did I bother coming this morning? Of all mornings, and who can announce me like this? And honestly, I, I've, I've been uh, meeting with the leaders of uh, this church, probably some of them at least, every month for the last couple of years. But I've not been here on a Sunday, uh, at least not on the Sunday morning, just the Sunday evening. But I would not be here on any Sunday other than this one if I had a choice. I really feel like God's doing something really special in you as a church. Um, so uh, if you're not part of the church, you're thinking, why did I come this Sunday? I think it's probably because God wanted you to come this Sunday. Because there's things which God's doing in this church, which actually it's good for you to sit in on. If you're you know, like a, a one-off visitor, you might not even be a Christian, you just happen to have come here, it's going to do you good kind of to be a spectator, kind of seeing how churches kind of walk through difficult stuff as well as good stuff. Have you noticed everybody, uh, every organization you ever come into contact with only ever tells you the good news? If you follow, you know, like advertising campaigns, it's always about the good. If you follow anyone on Facebook or Twitter, their lives are perfect because they only put the good stuff for public consumption. To be honest, if you're a visitor to the church this morning, this is a really good Sunday because we're not hiding things. We're actually just being honest about the downs as well as the ups, the the nasty stuff as well as the good stuff. And it's good for you, even if you're never going to be part of King's Church, it's good for you just to be a spectator and to see how God works this kind of stuff in his church. And partly because I want to bring a personal application as well. We all go through times like this in our own lives when things happen that we weren't really expecting, when things happen that we feel pretty disappointed about, when things happen that actually we feel quite cross with God about. And I want to help you to work out, as an individual, how do you go through that? So in some ways, what I'm sharing is for you as a church, and as you as a church, you just need to actually walk through this process now. But as I'm sharing it, actually what God's doing in you as a people, God wants to do in you as a person as well. I mean, we've all had times, haven't we, where we think God's going to do something and it doesn't quite work out that way, yeah? We've all had times when God does stuff and it's just surprising and disappointing, and so uh, I, even as I'm kind of helping King's Church as a whole to process this, I really feel God wants to touch individuals and even just, you know what it's like? Sometimes you watch a movie and it's about someone else's life, but as you're watching someone else's life, suddenly you get some stuff in your own life. It's almost like watching things played out in someone else enables you to apply them to your own life personally. Whether you're part of King's Church or not, I really believe that what's happening kind of corporately, as you watch it and as you see what God's doing, God's actually going to use this thing you're watching to actually do something in you as a person. So I'm, I guess where we'll go at the end of this message is we'll pray together and we'll respond. And as a church, we'll look forward and we'll, we'll uh, respond to what God's saying to us. But I actually want to have a, an individual response as well, because I really believe that just like through what's happening in the church, 
Um, God's going to put his finger on a whole lot of stuff that's happening in individuals. And today's going to be a really fruitful morning. I had the most wonderful PowerPoint for this morning. I can tell you that because it, because I, can't, I tell you, it was so good. Uh, designed by a team of artists from around the world. Um, it even had Bible verses so that uh, you didn't have to turn to John chapter 11. But do you know what? Let's turn to John chapter 11. And uh, I, I want to preach from a passage of the Bible which, even if you're not a Christian, you've probably heard of, but I really believe is a passage of the Bible that God wants to give to you as a church for this season, to become a church-defining word for this season. Whenever things happen that you're not expecting, you've got a choice. You can go with circumstance, or you can go with the word of God into the circumstance. And I really believe that this chapter is the word of God into your circumstance. And uh, as we look at it together this morning, uh, God's going to really help us. It's about the death of Lazarus and the resurrection of Lazarus. It's about people being disappointed and surprised and about God doing amazing things as a result. And as I read it to you, uh, and as we look at the verses together, I really believe God wants to help us this morning. So this is John chapter 11 and verse 1. If you don't know much about the Bible, John was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So he's not writing about something he heard about here. He was there. When he writes about Lazarus, this isn't some historical figure that he's researched. Lazarus was one of John's mates. In fact, the disappointment that happens in this passage is not just something that happened to other people that John's reporting. John's right at the heart of this story. He's telling us his own experience. And he's saying to us, listen, this is how it happened for me. And if you ever find yourself in this kind of situation as an individual, as we often do, as a church, as you currently do, here's what God's doing and here's how you walk through it. So let me just read the first six verses to start. John 11 verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was ill. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay ill, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. That's another story which uh, John tells. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is ill. When he heard this, Jesus said, this illness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. Okay, um, six verses that are kind of full of surprising things. I don't know what you've been taught about what it means to follow Jesus, but these verses kind of throw some of it up in the air. For a start, Lazarus was ill. Okay, maybe you were told that following Jesus was just like angelic choirs all the way. Never anything wrong. Follow Jesus and life is perfect every step of the way. Do you know, life is perfect every step of the way, which often means suffering along the way. Because God's interested in doing a perfect work in our lives. And you know what it's like. When you look back on your life so far, it's the tough times that have shaped you more than the easy times. Uh, what we read here is that it isn't just some random person is ill. Lazarus, who obviously Jesus was good enough friends with him for Mary and Martha to send like this text message. I guess it must have been. Um, basically this first century text message equivalent where they don't actually say Lazarus is ill. They say, Jesus, the one you love is ill. I mean, 
how much does Jesus have to like this guy for his sisters to be able to say the one you love is ill and Jesus is like, oh, that's pretty obvious who I mean. This is someone that Jesus passionately cares about and he's ill, which I just find really helpful. On a day like today, I find this helpful. Sometimes when things don't quite go how you plan in church life, you think, is, is the hand of God no longer blessing King's Church? No, not at all. God loved Lazarus. That's why he was ill. God loves King's Church. I mean, in fact, I, I've always been convinced of it ever since I, I preached at this church about eight years ago. I knew God loved the church then, but I've never been more convinced of it than the last five weeks. So uh, John's trying to say to us, listen, there's times when things don't go easily, and that doesn't mean God doesn't love us. It's actually because he loves us. There's this kind of myth going around that following Jesus means life's a bed of roses. Jesus wore a crown of thorns. How can following him be a bed of roses? And so what John says to us is, you've got to be realistic. Part of the way God leads you, if he loves you, is to take you through some tough times as well as some easy times. Great. As a church, you're in a tough time right now. I tell you, by the end of John chapter 11, I hope you'll be rejoicing with me that this is one of the most exciting times your church has ever been through. God's at work. I love the way it says, um, uh, Jesus says, this sickness will not end in death, which is just a strange thing for Jesus to say because he wasn't text messaging. He could communicate in more than 140 characters. He's not trying to tweet a quick message back to uh, Mary and Martha. It's not like he hasn't got much space and decides to say, well, it's not going to end in death. Can't tell you anymore. Run out of characters. Now, he's like, this, this sickness isn't going to end in death. And if you know the story of Lazarus, he dies. I mean, honestly, Jesus, how hard would it have been for you to say, this sickness will not end in death. In fact, Lazarus is going to die. You need to know that up front. He's going to be dead for four days in the tomb, but then I'm going to come and raise him to life. Jesus doesn't give the full picture. He only gives part of the picture. It's often like that. Jesus is interested in the journey as well as the destination. See, Jesus could have said to Mary and Martha, the destination is glory, and let me explain the whole thing, but then they wouldn't have had the journey with Jesus. I really want you to cherish what God's doing in the church at the moment. If you're going through a tough time personally, I want you to cherish what God's doing in your own life individually at the moment. Because sometimes God doesn't give us the full picture because it's through not having the full picture that God does a deep work in us. I mean, imagine you're Lazarus. This is about Lazarus, yeah? Lazarus gets his message, this sickness will not end in death. I mean, how excited must you be? You're sitting up in bed, you feel like you're dying, you get this message, this will not end in death. It's all right. I can eat whatever I want for the next few days. I am immortal because Jesus has spoken over me. This will not end in death. Just imagine the last few hours of Lazarus's life as he realizes Jesus has said this won't end in death, but I'm dying. I mean, you th sometimes we go through times where um, we get confused. Times like this, if we're honest, are times when uh, Christians sometimes do one of two things. They either walk away from their faith, which is obvious. They kind of stop coming to church. They say, well, you know, I trusted this guy and it's all gone wrong. And why would I bother? That's the obvious way. There's actually an even, there's a less obvious but more dangerous way that people respond. They keep coming, but in their hearts, they walk away. They look the same the following week, but something inside them has gone bitter. And uh, Lazarus kind of went through some of that. 
And Jesus didn't stop him. I mean, for Mary and Martha, it must possibly have been even harder. I mean, they're not sitting up in bed dying of an illness. They're out and about in town. This message comes from Jesus. It will not end in death. They're down the shop telling everyone, it's okay. The rabbi has spoken. It will not end in death. They're going to see their friends. Lazarus, he's looking, he's looking worse than ever. But Jesus has said it won't end in death. And then he dies. I mean, what do you say at the funeral? You're asked to give the eulogy, and all you can think is, Jesus said this wouldn't end in death, and my brother is dead. How'd you do that? You know, there's a lot of crying going on in this chapter. Jesus does some of it. There's nothing wrong, wrong with crying and grieving and actually being upset about situations. Um, but we've got to see God at work in the midst of the situation as we carry on reading. The bit which I find the hardest in these first six verses is verses five and six. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed where he was two more days. That's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, isn't it? If you love someone, you run to them. It actually says Jesus loved them so much that he deliberately delayed. This is, um, I'm reading from the 2011 translation of the NIV. It's actually the second translation of the New International Version. The one in 1984 was the original one, and they couldn't cope with these verses. It actually says, he loved Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, yet he stayed where he was for two days. They kind of updated the translation and retranslated some bits that they thought they hadn't quite captured, and they've put it correctly. The Greek word un means therefore. He loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and therefore he stayed where he was. It's like John's trying to say to us, these, these things didn't happen in spite of God's love. They happened because of God's love. For you as a church, you've got to know that. Um, actually, just uh, what's going on at the moment, this isn't in spite of God's love for King's Church. It isn't in spite of God's plans for King Church, King's Church. It's because of God's love for King's Church. This is happening because of God's plans. You kind of think, I had so many hopes and dreams, I prayed into them. I know, and as a result of your prayers, this has happened. It's part of the answers for your prayer. You say to God, we want you to do anything you want, God. We want to reach the people of Kingston. God, we want to move on. Lead us, God. And then God does lead you, and you say, I didn't really mean that. He loved them. So, this happened. Okay? He says, this has happened for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. You discover how big your God is when you go through tough times, not when you go through good times. When you're in good times, your God seems great. When you go through a confusing time or a disappointing time, you discover how big your God is. If your God is small, every crisis is massive. If your God is massive, every crisis is small. Even this morning as... Philip was reading um, you know, that thing to you. Um, you discovered how big your God is. Because it's in these times when God loves you this much, he actually puts you through times where actually you discover the truth of your heart. I was reading something uh, last night. Someone said, to tell a lie is horrible. To believe a lie is pitiful. It's actually, telling a lie is bad. Believing a lie is far worse. And what happens is in situations like this, God reveals where you fooled yourself in your heart. Oh, yeah, my God's massive. I sing so loudly. Yeah. Well, let's see how big he is in the midst of a crisis. See, he loved them. So, for the glory of God, he delayed coming to them. 
Let's just jump, jump down a few verses to verses 14 and 15. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is, your, is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Okay, I'm getting even more surprised by what John's saying here. John describes loads of miracles in his gospel. Um, actually, he spends ages describing this one. It's a long, detailed description because this was totally life-shaping for John. John gets now what Jesus was doing then, and he wants us to get what Jesus is doing through the tough times in our lives. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, Lazarus has died. The one I love has died, and I'm really glad. I mean, what kind of, what? I'm glad it was for your sake so that you may believe. You see, uh, my best mate, you guys know him, a guy called Nick, um, one of my best mates. Uh, I was his best man at his wedding. It was embarrassing. We went to the tailor to kind of get our suits measured, and he's measured, and I'm measured, and it's with the same measuring tape, so I can't even claim that there's like some faulty instrument being used. And his muscles are massive, and mine are rather less so. His chest size is impressive. Mine, not so much. And if you ask me, I would say to you, I would love to be like my mate Nick. I would love to have muscles like my mate Nick. But the truth is, I don't really want to. Otherwise, I'd go to the gym a whole lot more. The reason his muscles are massive is because he spends an inordinate amount of time making his muscles massive in the gym. I don't. Hence the difference. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, I'm really glad that you're going through this crisis because it's going to be the making of you. You can spend your life being puny as a Christian because you're pampered and nothing ever goes wrong. Or you can get in the gym of faith. Faith's like a muscle. The more you use it, the stronger it gets. And sometimes God takes churches through muscle-making times so that he can use them more. Sometimes God takes individuals through muscle-making times so he can use them more. And I've, I guess I've learned over the years not to resent God telling me it's gym time. It's good to have God as your personal trainer. It's good to have God come alongside you and say, you know, it's been really nice having a bit of relaxation. It's good to have wonderful times when everything feels like it's going well. But it's also good to go in the gym of faith and for God to prepare you for something bigger, for something greater. I truly believe what's happened the last few weeks has been the result of your prayers. You've been saying, God, we want you to take us to a new level. God said, fine, it's gym time. (laughs) And God's not surprised by what's happened. He's orchestrated all of this. And uh, I I guess I've I've been as involved as anyone in what's happened the last few weeks. And uh, I I would say with Jesus, I'm really glad about what's happened. I I received a a text message from uh, from Simon um, at 5 a.m., the morning after he'd had the dream that night, I thought something must be, uh, you know, up. You know, I don't normally get text messages from Simon at five in the morning. Uh, so we met up that day. And I tell you, I've known Simon for about six years. I've seen him grow more in the last six weeks than in the previous six years. I've seen God take Simon and Caroline with him into this gym of faith. And I tell you, this is working out really well for them. God is doing something really good in them. The way uh, 
God grabbed Simon's attention and, and alerted him to some stuff that he needed to deal with. And rather than run the other way, which is the easy option, he came to see me. We spent a couple of hours together. He came to see Philip and others. And he burnt his bridges. He said, you know, God's spoken to me about this thing and I don't care what it costs. I'm going to deal with it. I just think that is the path of death and resurrection. Um, God's able to do anything through somebody who's willing to die and be raised to life. It's called the gospel. Uh, and I've seen Simon living out the gospel more in the last six weeks than in the previous six years. And as he's done so, I tell you, it's been beautiful to see. As Philip said, one of the big issues for Simon was uh, identity in being the lead pastor and uh, almost not being willing to be honest with those he loved around him in case he lost the position of lead pastor. And when he contacted me in, of his own back, no one had told him he needed to do this. He said, I, I feel God's telling me I need to resign and I'm going to do it. I, tell you, I was glad. I was over the moon because I thought, this is a totally different Simon from the one I talked to a few weeks ago. I was so excited because it was like the most cherished thing he had. And he said, I want it to die so that I might know resurrection life. See, God does that. He's doing that with you as a church, to be honest. Um, you can call yourself King's Church, but it very quickly becomes a logo instead of a lifestyle. King's Church means that your senior pastor is King Jesus. Your senior pastor hasn't changed. You just maybe have remembered who your lead pastor really is. Um, King's Church means this is about Jesus and his plans for us. Whether they're easy, whether they're hard, we want to serve the purposes of God in Kingston. And God's bringing you right back to that. I mean, even some of what's been going on, the fact that you as leaders, for some of you it's been news today, but others, the leaders who've known this a little bit longer, actually the way they've responded to it has been wonderful. And I, I just feel more excited about what God's going to do through you as a church than I ever have in the period I've known you. I think even just some of the things that glorify God, the way the trustees have handled this, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, trustees uh, had to make tough decisions. Would they react in a bad way or would they react in a godly, generous way? You don't need to know the details, but your trustees, I'm astonished with how godly they've been in the way they've worked through it. Um, Terry and Wendy, not easy for Terry and Wendy. I'm astonished with how godly they've been. Caroline and Simon, I think, have been so godly in this. So I kind of look at it and I think, yeah, on one level, it's, it's a really messy time but I think I am glad so that you might believe this is working for the good of Simon and Caroline this is definitely working for the good of King's Church and I just everywhere I look just see something of God's hand on this I think even what God's been doing in Philip over the last year um, I, I, I've been walking with Dave Holden I've been walking through like with your leaders uh, probably for the last six months just some questions around should Philip be leading? Uh, should Simon be part of Philip's team rather than Philip part of Simon's team? And I have to say to you, the way Philip has handled himself in those discussions has been exemplary. You know, like when David says, I will not lay my hand on the Lord's anointed, I would just say Philip has been faultless in the way he's managed himself. So I just kind of look at your church. I've never seen more evidence of God's grace at King's Church than I've seen in the last few weeks. So I say with Jesus, I'm really glad this is going on. 
more personally, it's hard, isn't it, when things go wrong, to look at your own life and think, how can God be glad about this? This is how God can be glad, because God knows the difference between clinging on to life and resurrection life. That's the gospel. You never get to understand the resurrection power of God until you let go of your own plans and say, God, I'm willing to die with Christ. I'm willing to be buried with Christ. I'm willing to be raised with Christ. I'm willing to be ascended into heavenly places with Christ. It's a pretty good trajectory, isn't it? But most of us fail at the first hurdle. It's like God said to you as a church, come on, it's time to walk the gospel road again. And I'm just thrilled that wherever I look, I see people saying, yes, we want to walk it. Let's just carry on reading because it gets exciting when they get to resurrection. Here's different ways we can respond. Let's just jump down a few verses to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them on the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Let's just jump down to Mary's reaction, verse 28. After she'd said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus hadn't yet entered the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who'd been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Full stop. Do you see how Mary works through her kind of grief process, her disappointment process? Two ways. One, she sulks. Her sister goes out to meet Jesus. Mary stays in the house. In other words, Jesus has finally come, but he's a few days late. And Mary's like, to be honest, talk to the hand, Jesus. I'm not interested. Why would I want to be near you? You can respond in times of trouble by sulking. People do. As I said, sometimes people just give up on church. Other times they keep going, but something's changed within them. Don't respond like Mary the path of sulking. She also has like the path of bitterness. Have you noticed that? It's like, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. That's called blaming somebody. It's easy to do that. When things go wrong, you point the finger. Why didn't they do this? Why didn't they do that? You've let me down. Just don't go down this road. God gives us a far better way. We don't want to go down the way of bitterness. She's full of if-onlys. If only we'd done this. If only this had been different. Listen, this is the perfect plan of God. There's no if onlys. Don't go down the path of Mary where you're blaming or sulking. Go down the path of Martha. I love her. Uh, The way she responds is different. This is verse, um, uh, where is it? Verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. It's exactly the same thing that Mary said, except She keeps going. She doesn't deny her disappointment. She doesn't deny her feelings. She just keeps going past them. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. See what happens here. Martha responds by being honest about her disappointment, honest about her confusion, 
But she says, but Jesus, you're bigger than this situation. And Jesus makes her some wonderful promises. And then she falls for the thing which you could fall for right now. She falls for, I don't know what you want to call it, dumbing down the promises of God, spiritualizing the promises of God. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha says, yes, I believe. I know he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. That's not what Jesus means. But British Christians or Christians in Britain do it all the time. You kind of read these great promises from God and you think, wow, it's going to be wonderful in the age to come. No, we are those who taste the age to come and bring the age to come to bear right now. The danger is God gives us these incredibly valuable promises and we say, oh, we love them. And then we treat them like monopoly money. See, the danger is you react to something like this saying, well, I had such high hopes, but the church is going to be glorious in the age to come, but clearly not at the moment. I I think King's Church has never been more glorious than it is right now. Sometimes in your own situation, you think, well, I haven't been healed yet. Or, uh, you know, I haven't met the right guy or the right girl yet. You know, how, how can God be in this situation? I believe God's promises, but they clearly haven't come good for now. I believe it all for the future. And Jesus says, bring it into the now. This is an amazing moment of resurrection. This is not something God is going to use for good in the future. This is something that God's using for good right now. Right now. Right now, God is using this for great good in the lives of Simon and Caroline. Right now, God is using this for great good in your life right now as you listen. If you're a guest, God's using it right now for good in your heart because by being able to see what's happening in the church, you're actually able to see what's going on in your own life as well. God's using it for good. She moves beyond that. Jesus said to her, no, 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 I'm not talking about the last day. I am the resurrection and the life, present tense. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Basically, Martha has her greatest experience of God in her moment of greatest confusion and disappointment. It's often the way. Jesus says to her, up until now, you've been looking for things from Jesus. In another passage, she's asking Jesus to tell her sister to help her a bit more. Okay, Jesus will give you things, but the great gift of God is not things through Jesus. It's Jesus. Lazarus liked his life, but he thought his life was a thing. It's only in this situation he discovers that Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha's discovering that this whole thing, this whole thing, Christianity, is not about things that God gives us through Jesus. It's about Jesus that God gives us. And therefore, we have need of no thing. Big difference. She gets it. She says to Jesus, even though things seem to be going wrong, I believe your present tenses when you say, I am the resurrection and the life, not just I will be. I believe what you're telling me when you say, even if someone dies, they'll still live and it doesn't seem to make sense, but I know you, Jesus. You've got to say that. You've got to say that. I mean, you you probably won't know the ins and outs of everything, you know, that we've had to work through as leaders. It's not appropriate. You just have to know this, that your leader's Jesus. And he is the resurrection and the life. And you can say to him, "I, I really don't understand all of this, Jesus, but I understand you and you're enough. And I understand that this is going to work for good. And let's read the final verses and see what happens. Um, Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, 
and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. You need to know that. If you're going through a really difficult time at the moment, you need to know that Jesus weeps. It says in the book of Isaiah, in all their troubles, he was troubled too. I love the, even the Greek words that John uses here. He uses the word taraso. When it says he was, he was, he was troubled, it, it actually means, it refers to water which is stirred up in a storm. It's like yeah, you would say that the wind tarasoed the lake and, it, and a tempest came up, okay? So John's using strong language. He's saying, actually, Jesus felt the pain. Jesus feels your pain. But then the Jews said, see how he loved him, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more, deeply moved. Again, it's, a, it's an odd Greek word that John uses. He uses it in verse 38. He used it earlier in verse 33. Uh, it's a Greek word, embryamaomai, which means it's not a very um, common word to use. It's, it's a word in the Greek language that means to snort like a war horse eager to get into battle. I just want to ask, what culture has a word for that? Um, they had a word for a war horse snorting because it can't wait to get into battle. See, Jesus is different from us. He doesn't see disappointment and confusion and see it as a moment to retreat and lick his wounds. He sees disappointment and confusion and he says, what is my father doing? How can I move forward? I feel this is even for you as a church. There's something that God wants you to have about you. When people say, what's King's Church about? Say, you should come on a Sunday. We snort like war horses, eager to get into battle. Tissues are provided. Uh, it's like God wants you to, to not slow down because of this. God wants you to see, no, actually, this was part of God's plan for us. And, you know, we have never been more eager to get into battle. Jesus is like, show me where the tomb is. And they take him to the tomb. Verse 39. Ta- uh, verse 38. Once more, deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he's been dead in the tomb for four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Let me just point out a couple of things and then we'll pray and we'll go back into worship. We point out the first thing, Jesus says, take away the stone. I've overseen churches for a little while. I've been involved in churches for even longer. Actually, You're at a crossroads as a church right now because I've seen churches come to a point like this where they're disappointed with a leader and things didn't quite work out how they expected. And actually it becomes like a stone in the middle of them progressing. It's like there's this massive thing which basically people stop and retrench and and, and, and feel like, I don't know, they can't keep going. And Jesus, I believe, would say to you as a church, take away the stone. You don't get to see resurrection miracles unless you get the stone out of the way. Jesus isn't denying that there's a stone. Yeah, 
This is a big Sunday for you as a church, but it's a roll away the stone Sunday for you as a church. We kind of think, this is the second thing, we tend to think seeing is believing. Well, God, you've let me down. Come on, show me something good so I can trust in you. Jesus just says, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? Jesus doesn't say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to show you something and then you'll be able to believe. He says, no, you believe first and then you'll see the glory of God. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. This is a moment where Jesus would just say to you as a church, I want you to look at me and believe. I want you to say, do you know, whatever happens, you're our lead pastor, Jesus. And we can trust you to lead us on here. Whatever disappointment I carry, whatever is going on in my mind as I try and uh, just kind of process what's going on, I- I'm not going to let a stone get in the way of my walk with you, Jesus. I'm going to believe. I'm going to see the glory of God. And then Lazarus comes out. And I believe, you know, you're, you're, in some ways, this is the end of a process rather than the beginning of a process. I believe King's Church, Kingston, is out of the tomb. I believe God's already read, led you into a place of resurrection power. I believe, you know, there's been, your leaders have basically been leading brilliantly in the background without you necessarily being aware of all they've been doing. But as a result, you're now at a place where you can step into the resurrection power of God. Lazarus comes out and he's tied up with these grave clothes and he's got a cloth on his face. And Jesus, ever the practical one, says, think someone needs to take off the grave clothes. You need to take off the grave clothes. You know, you, you could not see what God's doing because of this situation. Actually, take off the grave clothes and see the glory of God everywhere in this situation. You know, you could actually get handcuffed by the devil who wants nothing more than for King's Church to stop doing the great work that you're doing. Or you could say, no, we're going to take the grave clothes off. We're not going to be a two-ton stone in the way of us, church. We're not going to be a grave clothes church. If people come to King's Church next month, they're not going to experience death. They're going to experience resurrection. When you gather to worship, we're not going to sing about death. We're going to sing about resurrection. When you're planning, what's God's plan for the autumn? What's God's plan for 2016? It's not going to be let's stay stinking in the tomb for a few days. It's going to be take away the grave clothes. We've got work to do. We're like war horses snorting, ready to get into battle. Tell you, this didn't take Jesus by surprise. He knew Lazarus was going to be ill, and he knew that Lazarus was going to die, and yet he said this isn't going to end in death. Every situation where you think, Jesus, your promises and what I'm seeing don't match up, it's because you haven't reached the end yet. Sure, death was going to be involved, it just wasn't going to end in death. The Christian life has loads of death in it. Death to our hopes, death to our dreams, death to our belief that we can do anything by ourselves, sometimes even death to confidence in leaders. But if we're willing to walk the path of death and resurrection, Jesus says, I tell you that if you believed, you'd see the glory of God. This stuff's happened and I'm glad so that you might believe. I'm not part of your church, so maybe I can say it more clearly than others. I think you're in a wonderful place as a church. I've never been more excited for what God's going to do for you as a church. If you're a guest to the church and you recently moved to Kingston, you're thinking, why would I join this church? Seems like loads of stuff's going on. I just want to say to you, join this church because loads of stuff's going on. You don't want to join a church which feels like they're doing okay. 
You want a church that's got the marks of death and resurrection all over it. God's taken you, taken Simon and Caroline, taken many people on this journey of death and resurrection. I just want to say to you, it's good. Embrace it. Praise God for it. Thank God for it as a church. And if this has spoken to you as an individual, I want to give you a chance to respond now as well. Don't resent God for the tough times. They're the times when God says, because I love you, therefore, I'm going to lead you on the path of death and resurrection so that you can truly see the glory of God. Why don't we stand together? I want to pray over you and then we'll have a chance to worship together. And then I want to give you a chance also as individuals to respond. This hasn't just been a message for the church. God's speaking to each one of us. Father God, I just want to thank you for the privilege of gathering together this morning. And I thank you that this morning wasn't boring. Who would want to be part of a boring church where people pat each other on the back and pretend? I thank you that this whole few weeks of Simon being real and being honest, and then us as leaders working through the implications of honesty. I thank you, Lord, that there is an honesty and a truth and an authenticity this morning which is so attractive to you. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing. I'm really glad about what you're doing. And Lord, I thank you that as King's Church respond with faith, that they will truly see the glory of God. Lord, I pray, protect us, Lord. Protect us from walking the path of of Mary, disappointment, bitterness, the path of Martha, kind of spiritualizing things and dumbing down God's promises. Lord, may we walk the path of Lazarus, of gladly dying and gladly being raised to life that we might follow you to all the great places you've got for us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.